And now our sermon text and epistle lesson is from Ephesians 3. Again, pay close attention to God's infallible word. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Father, thank you again for your word. Thank you for giving it to us. Thank you for not being a God who is silent and far off, but who is near to us and who speaks to us. Help us to understand and to do your word, even this day, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, in three previous sermons, going back to February, we've looked at Paul's priorities in prayer, and our goal has been to learn from Paul, to learn from God's word, how to talk to God and what to talk to God about. And today we will look at Paul's prayer at the end of Ephesians 3, and I saved this one for Easter Sunday because the central theme in this prayer is resurrection power. If our goal is to live with resurrection power, if we want to walk in that newness of life that God has given us because we are united to the resurrected Lord, then we need to pray for the power that comes from the throne of the resurrected Christ. And so this sermon is the culmination of that series and also other things that I've been talking about from the pulpit as we talk about what it means to bear our cross in the power of the resurrection. And I just heard a pastor this week say that it's good on Easter Sunday to start a series. Um, And I'm actually ending a series, so that made me uh, rethink this. But here we are, I'm ending a series on prayer, praying uh, Paul's prayers after him. And it's fitting, though, because this one has to do with the power that we ask for, that we pray in and that we ask for in prayer. When we talk about Christ's resurrection, we often focus, rightly, either on its past implication or its future implication. The past implication of Christ's resurrection is that it saved us from sin. The resurrection of Jesus is the basis of our justification. Paul says at the end of Romans 4, 
that Jesus was raised from the dead for our justification. Future implication of Christ's resurrection is that we too will be raised from the dead at the end of history. Someday. The resurrection of Jesus is the basis of our resurrection. Romans 8.11 says that if the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he will one day raise you from the dead as well, giving life to your mortal bodies. When we talk about Christ's resurrection, we tend to focus on one of these two aspects because they are central. The past implication, our salvation, the future implication, our bodily resurrection, the end of history. But today I want us to consider the present implications of Christ's resurrection for the believer. What does the resurrection of Jesus mean for your Christian walk? What do you have spiritually by virtue of the fact that you are united to the resurrected Son of God? That you belong to him, that you are in him, and that he is in you. Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3 has two rich and lengthy petitions. A petition is something that we ask for. Paul asks God for two things in this prayer. The first petition is in verses 16 and part of 17. In 16 and 17, Paul asks God to strengthen us with power through his spirit's work in our inner being. He asks God to strengthen us with power. The word in the New King James Version is uh, strength or might. Variously, that word gets translated throughout the New Testament. But the Greek word is dunamis. That's where we get our word dynamite. He asks God to strengthen us with power or might, with spiritual dunamis. Spiritual dynamite through the Holy Spirit in our inner being. And Paul says that the power is there because the resurrected Christ dwells in our hearts. He lives in our hearts through faith. And the second petition we'll look at is in verses 17 to 19. Paul's prayer there is that the resurrection power that God gives us might enable us to grasp the the limitless dimensions of Christ's love. Paul wants believers to have the spiritual power to, to understand, to comprehend the width and length and height and depth of God's love in Christ. So let's look at the first petition. In verse 16, Paul asks God to strengthen us with power through his spirit in our inner being. Paul wants God's power. Paul needs God's power. He wants it and he needs it and he knows it. It's power only God can give. Not generic power, but divine power. Do you want divine power? Triune power. Do you know how much you need the power that can only come from the living God? Paul is always asking for God's power, both for himself and for the brethren, for other believers. If you know the book of Ephesians, well, you may remember what Paul has already asked God to give the Ephesian Christians back in chapter 1 of this book. Look back, if you have your Bibles open, you can just flip back and look at Ephesians 1. 
verse 16, Paul says that he does not cease to make mention of the Ephesians in the prayers. And then in 17 and following, Paul tells them what he prays for. I thought about preaching a sermon just on this passage. It could be done easily in this series on prayer. Because it's another place where Paul's priorities in prayer are made known. So let's look at it briefly, sort of as the background to what he says in Ephesians 3. Ephesians 1.17, you can follow along or listen. Here's what Paul prays for. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding or your heart being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So look carefully at verse 19 there. Paul wants us to know the exceeding greatness of God's power toward believers, toward you and me. And then verse 20 tells us what kind of power he's talking about. It's the power that God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heaven. Resurrection power. You need to see that at the root of Paul's prayers is the prayer for spiritual power, Holy Spirit power, or resurrection power. Those are synonymous. It's the power that raised Jesus from the dead that we want, that we need, that God gives. This is the power that enables you to have as Paul says, a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God. Ephesians 1.17, God's power is what enlightens the eyes of your heart. It enables you to know what is the hope of God's calling. It's what enables you to know the riches of the glory of the inheritance that God has given you in Christ. Ephesians 1.18. Now let's come back to our passage, the end of Ephesians 3, two chapters later. Paul is once again asking God to give the power of the resurrection. But this time Paul's prayer is more direct. His request in Ephesians 3.16 is pretty simple, that God would grant you to be strengthened with power, with might. Do not miss. Kind of might, what kind of power? We just learned. It's the end of Ephesians 1. Resurrection might, resurrection power. And who does who does this resurrection power come from? Where does it come from? Who does it come from? Who gives it? Well, look at verse 16. It comes to us through the person of the Holy Spirit. Paul's request is that you would be strengthened with power through whom? Through the Spirit, his Spirit. The resurrection power is Holy Spirit power. Holy Spirit power is resurrection power. So we've answered the question, what kind of power is Paul talking about? Resurrection power. We've answered the question, who does this power come from? It comes from the person of the Holy Spirit. The next question is, 
what sphere does this power operate in? Where is the power exercised? Answers at the end of verse 16. That you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner man. Paul wants God to strengthen you with power through the spirit in your inner person, your inner being. What's it mean for God to strengthen you in your inner being with this resurrection power? Well, we learn what inner man means from a different passage that Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul draws draws a contrast between the outer man and the inner man. You may be familiar with this passage, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outer man is perishing, dying, Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Verse 17, for our light affliction, our suffering, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and an eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 4 that our bodies are wasting away. They're wearing down, either by the onslaught of time or, in Paul's case, by the onslaught of affliction and time. But if you're a believer in Christ, while your outer man is wasting away, your inner man is growing and being renewed in strength and power As Paul says in this passage elsewhere, from one degree of glory to another degree of glory, from glory to glory through the spirit, he says, the spirit who lives in you and gives you power. See, God does not promise increasing strength and health in this life. He does not give our bodies resurrection power in this life. Most of us adults in here know this by experience. We don't have to accept it by faith. Our bodies are breaking down. They are not moving from glory to glory. They are headed toward death. Now we do know that our bodies will be raised from the dead at the end of history. That's our hope. That's what we celebrate today. One day, we will have glorious, resurrected bodies like Jesus's. But our bodies will not receive their promised gift of resurrection life until Jesus returns from heaven to earth and raises us up from our graves. In the meantime, though, God still gives us, you and me, resurrection life. He still shares the power of Christ's resurrection with you right now. He hasn't given it to your body yet, but he has given it to your inner man. Right now on this side of the resurrection from the dead, 
the general resurrection of the body of Christ, the focus of God's renewing work in your life is on your soul, the inward man, the inner person. The resurrection of your body comes later. In this life, your outer man will wither away, but the spirit of the resurrected Christ will continue to renew your inner self, giving you increasing strength, increasing power. Now, in our culture, including our church culture, many are desperate for good health and good looks and strong bodies. We eat natural. We eat organic. We invent new diets every day. We exercise our cores. We make our muscles strong. We weigh ourselves regularly. We wear nice clothes. We look in the mirror a lot. We make sure our outer man looks good every time we leave the house. But do we hunger for the trans- transformation of our inner man? Do we pay as much attention to it as we do the health of our outer man? You see, we are in urgent need of Christians who want to display the power in the inner person, who want it, who pray for it, who plead with God to grant it more and more and more to them and to their brethren. You see, the inner man is the part of you that controls your character. Your inner man is the, the spring from which your mouth speaks. The inner man is the source of your thoughts and your actions. And so which do you desire more, really? For the world to see a well-kept outer self or for God to see a well-kept inner self? Which do you want more? Making your muscles strong and strengthening your physical core or making your soul strong according to the working of God's power, Paul says, to use Paul's language, in you. Are you more concerned about the outward than you are the inward? Paul's prayer is that God would work his mighty power in the domain that matters most, your inner self. Remember what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 8. Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value For all things holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This world and the resurrection. The power that Paul is asking God for in Ephesians 3 is the opposite of worldly power. It's not power that comes with privilege and advantage and leverage. Not power that makes your life easier, more convenient, more comfortable. It's not triumphalistic power. No, it's power, in fact, that gives you the strength to suffer along with Christ faithfully. That's Paul's theology. That's what Paul says about resurrection power. It's a biblical term, the power of the resurrection, Paul says in Ephesians 3, I'm sorry, Philippians 3, verse 10. 
Paul says in Philippians 3.10 that he wants to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Next phrase. Being conformed to his death. You see how the power of his resurrection is followed by and the fellowship or the communion of his sufferings being conformed to his death. That's Paul putting those ideas together in the same sentence. Paul is not seeking strength and power from God for personal gain. He's asking for resurrection power so that he can suffer well for the gospel, for Jesus. So that he can endure affliction with his eyes fixed on Jesus the whole time. He knows he needs, needs resurrection power to do that. Paul wants the power of Christ's resurrection so that he can be conformed to Christ's death, he says. Is that what you want? Do you want the power of the resurrection so that you can effectively, faithfully die? That's what Paul says in Philippians 3.10. Now let me read verse 11. I'll read verse 10 and 11 together. That I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, verse 11, so that by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. You see, the power of Christ's resurrection strengthens you to become like Jesus in his self-denial and his death so that you will one day become like him in his resurrection from the dead. This, this is Bible logic. This is how the logic of resurrection power works. It conforms you to Christ's death in order to prepare you for your resurrection from the dead. Let's come back to our passage in Ephesians 3. At the beginning of verse 17, Paul gives a more general purpose of the power he's praying for, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So Paul's first petition, his first request, which covers verse 16 and first part of 17, is that God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts with, through faith. Now, now that we've come to the end of this first petition, before we go to the second petition, let me ask you something. Have you noticed the Trinitarian character of this prayer? Did you catch how Paul refers to all three persons of the Godhead? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'll show you what I mean. Look at verse 14. First verse of the passage, Ephesians 3.14, Paul says that he bows his knees to whom? To the Father. The Father of whom? The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So already in verse 14, we see uh, mention of both the Father and the Son. That's two of the three persons of the Godhead. But now look at verse 16. Paul's asking God to strengthen you through his Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. And so Paul is praying He's praying to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's praying in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's another reference to the Son in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Paul was a Trinitarian believer, 
and he was a Trinitarian prayer. The God he prayed to was not just any God. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. The God you pray to is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And and I point this out because all three persons of the Godhead show up in the resurrection of Jesus. They, they show up in Paul's petition here, but they show up also in the historical event of Christ's resurrection from the dead. At least 15 times in the New Testament, God the Father is said to have raised Jesus from the dead. The book of Acts has 10 of those. The Father raised up Jesus from the grave. But in at least three other places, Paul says that the Holy Spirit was instrumental in raising Jesus from the grave. One of those places is a verse that I read earlier in the liturgy, Romans 8, verse 11. It says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. So the father and the spirit are both involved in raising Jesus from death to life, but the son himself was also involved. Jesus also raised himself. The Son of God raised himself from the dead. In John 2, 19, Jesus tells the Jews, if you destroy this temple, meaning if you kill me, if you destroy this, my body, kill me, in three days I will raise it up. And then later in John 10, 17 and 18, Jesus says, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. So the the Trinity raised Jesus from the dead. The resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead is Trinitarian power. So it's resurrection power, it's Holy Spirit power, it's Trinitarian power, the power of Father Son, and Holy Spirit. So when Paul asks God for power, he knows he's asking for power from the triune God, the only living God. The power that lives in you, that dwells in you. The power of the resurrection in your inner being that conforms you into the image of God's Son. That enables you to walk in righteousness is the power of the Trinity. Now, before we move on, I want you to look again at the opening phrase in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The word dwell there means live, take up residence. He wants Christ to live in you. He wants Jesus to take up residence in your inner being so that you become a temple of God. This is how God transforms you. It's from the inside out. It's how God turns you into a house that reflects the character of God. It's by living inside of you. And what's inside will come out. So Paul wants Christ to live inside you so that you become more like Jesus every day. 
So Paul's first petition is a plea for power. Power to know God, to understand his revelation, the power to think and act and talk like Jesus, the power to see with the eyes of faith, the power to put your hope in Christ, the power to keep in step with the Holy Spirit instead of grieving him, as Paul goes on to say later in Ephesians 4. The power to turn away from lust and to be holy. The power to put off the old man and to put on Christ. Power to be humble. The power to give thanks in all circumstances. The power to be discerning. The power to do what's good and right even when no one is looking. The power to grow in conformity to Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death to image that to reflect it the second petition begins in the middle of 17 and goes through 19 here paul asks for the power to know and understand the love of christ i pray that you being rooted and grounded in love in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This second request is also a prayer for power. But this time Paul has a more specific purpose. Paul's asking God specifically for power to comprehend the limitless dimensions of Christ's love. He wants Believers, He wants you to be able to know the love of Christ in your inner being. It's a, it's a knowledge that surpasses human knowledge. So notice that paradox at the beginning of verse 19. He's, his request is that they might know the love of Christ, which is beyond knowing. How are you supposed to know something that's beyond knowing? Well... You will need God's power for this, won't you? Paul's making an assumption here. In this second petition, he's assuming that his readers do not fully appreciate the love of Christ. Now, they fully belong to Christ. He's not doubting that. But they have not fully grasped all its depths and its layers. Paul wants God to give them The power to experience, to know in their inner being how amazing, how vast the love of Christ is. And don't miss this. Paul's not asking God to help us love Christ more specifically. That's implied. And it's a good thing to ask for explicitly. But that's not... What's going on here in verses 18 and 19? Paul is not praying that we might love Christ more. He's praying that we might comprehend and know Christ's love for us more. Now, of course, when that happens, we will love Christ more. And it's always a standing command for us to to love Christ more. But he's emphasizing here our comprehension, our understanding of Christ's love for us. We do not know how much Jesus loves us. We need to know better. 
you need to comprehend more and more how much God in Christ loves you. It's a good thing to know better, to cultivate in your heart a knowledge, comprehension of that. Your Christian brothers and sisters need to understand at a deeper level how much their Lord loves them. You need to be praying for this, for for yourself, for others. It's important. You see, Paul's desire in this prayer is for you to experience the love of Christ, for you to know it deeply and for you to know it personally. Paul's not praying for something to happen so much in your brain. He's praying for something to happen in your chest, in your heart, in your inner man. So do you personally experience God and his love for you? Do you want to? Do you want to know it more deeply? Is it a personal thing for you, your walk with God? Is it as personal as any other relationship in your life? Does Christ's love for you move you to praise and gratitude and worship? For Paul, the Christian faith was personal, experiential. He knew Christ and he knew the joy and the peace and the love and the hope that come from Christ's spirit, the spirit of the resurrected Christ. That's why Paul prays in Romans 15, 3. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. In believing. In believing in Jesus, in walking with the Lord, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound or overflow in hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans fifteen thirteen. If you want this to happen, if you want to know and experience the power of Christ and the love of Christ, if you want to overflow in hope, Paul says here, if you want to experience the joy and the peace that Paul's talking about here in believing, then you must walk in the power of the Holy Spirit as Paul prays. The power of the Holy Spirit is identical to the resurrection power that Paul prays for in Ephesians 1 and in Ephesians 3. The resurrection of Jesus saved you from your sins. You are justified before God because of his resurrection, because you are connected to it, united to it by faith. And the resurrection of Jesus assures you that you will be raised from the dead as he was someday in the future. But the resurrection of Jesus also does something for you, is doing something for you right now. The power of the resurrection gives you abundant, overflowing life right now. You get to experience eternal life now. You get to have victory over your sins now. You get to walk in the newness of resurrection life now. You have 
the power of the resurrection running through your inner man now because Jesus lives, because Jesus is risen. And so walk in this power and ask God for more of it. I'm going to close by reading the last two verses of our passage. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.